This is Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, both of them. One from California, one from Massachusetts. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Legal Talk Network. You are listening to Coast to Coast, the top-rated legal radio show on the web. I am Bob Ambrogi from Massachusetts. And even though that's hard to say, I'm Craig Williams from Southern California. I write a blog called May It Please the Court. And I write two blogs, one called Law Sites and another called Media Law. Our topic today uh, has been grabbing the spotlight in several cases this year. Uh, The issue is jurors who lie about or conceal information on their jury questionnaires and uh, the uh, commotion that causes in the courts. Well, Bob, there are lots of examples across the country, but one disturbing case, and it's hard for me to say too, got a lot of attention a couple years ago in Boston. Back in 2004, Joseph Cousin was on trial for the murder of 10-year-old Trina Prasad. Cousin was accused of killing the little girl during a botched drive-by shooting. The prosecutors discovered that uh, three jurors had lied about their criminal records on the questionnaires. The prosecution asked the judge to declare a mistrial. That request was granted, and Cousin was set free. And the current Suffolk County DA was so outraged by the juror's deceit that he he vowed to conduct criminal background checks on every juror involved in murder or violent crime cases. And meanwhile, the defense was also outraged after the mistrial. They claimed the prosecution uh, uh, had requested it because the jury was leaning towards an acquittal. In another case in Illinois, two jurors were caught lying about their criminal history in the corruption trial of former Governor George Ryan, and those charges were also dismissed. And a federal judge is now considering a proposal to allow federal prosecutors to conduct background checks in certain high-profile cases. Meanwhile, there's also an effort to prevent background checks. A a federal judge in Illinois barred prosecutors from conducting background checks on jurors in a trial involving former high-ranking Chicago city officials. Well, as you can probably tell by now, we've got a lot to discuss, so let's bring in our guests. First, we would like to introduce Professor Randolph or Randy Jonakite. Professor Jonakite is a professor of law at at the New York School of Law. He has devoted his career to the criminal justice system by monitoring, writing, and now teaching students about the system. His latest book, The American Jury System, is a history and description of the U.S. jury system and how it fits into the overall judiciary. Welcome to the show, Randy. Thank you, Bob and Craig. And our next guest is Dr. Philip K. Anthony. Dr. Anthony is a highly sought-after expert on trial consulting. He uh, has more than 30 years of experience and has been involved in more than a thousand civil cases in all 50 states and he is the chief executive officer of the firm decision quest welcome to the show dr anthony thank you bob and craig well let's start with you dr anthony what um, are the basic questions uh, that that uh, lawyers see on juror question or the i'm sorry the jurors see on juror questionnaires well, there's two, I guess there's maybe four answers to that. First, you have to consider that, that there's always a difference between federal and state court proceedings, as I'm sure the two of you are, are well aware. And the, generally speaking, the federal questionnaires are always far more brief than are the state questionnaires. Uh, so in, if you're a juror coming to a federal court environment, 
you might only see one page of information being requested of you. It usually has something like uh, name and maybe address and zip code, and then a couple of lines about things like, is there any reason you can't serve on this trial? Do you have a criminal background? Uh, things of that nature. So it's just a page of information. Uh, and it generally is something that is sent to jurors in the mail and uh, is completed and sent back, and that's the basis upon which the federal court selects the pool of jurors to come into the courthouse. At the state level, um, anything goes. You can have, uh, in some uh, jurisdictions, you can have extensive jury questionnaires. You can have lots of in-court voir dire taking place. So I guess without belaboring this too much, the point is a juror coming into a state court environment oftentimes is more likely to get the feeling they really are sort of being uh, investigated, if you will, not in the technical sense, but in the sense of the court really trying to learn something about them. But equally so, you can have a court where not much is asked at all that is different from the federal level. Professor John Kite, do you see jury questionnaires in all 50 states, and is there a difference between criminal questionnaires and civil questionnaires? Not all cases actually have questionnaires. Um, at least here in New York, Rhine-based, uh, some of the times there will be questionnaires, some there won't. Um, and it seems to me that they do vary. The ones I've actually seen more questionnaires in New York in civil cases than in criminal cases, uh, and the length often is longer, it seems to me, in the civil cases than it is in criminal cases. Well, the, the presumption coming into these cases is that jurors are going to be uh, honest and forthright about their backgrounds, and, and apparently that's not always the case. Is, is, that, is, that the, is, that, is that correct, Professor? Well, we do start out with that assumption, I guess, because we haven't, we haven't had formal ways to check answers. I think for a lot of jurors, however, they're nervous, they're unsure of themselves, uh, and, and a lot of the information seems embarrassing to them, and I, I think that makes them often, uh, not sure the right word, but trying not really to lie, but uh, not having to reveal awkward things about themselves, and that's not uncommon. Uh, and what we see is on occasion, uh, in some of the cases you've mentioned, where people uh, have not divulged important information. So should the system be doing more to look at uh, the juror's background than, than simply a questionnaire or, or even just questioning them in voir dire? Uh, well, certainly when it comes to something like the, the cases with the criminal convictions or the um, you know, other kinds of in encounters with the law, which um, I've seen in my own practice where people have not revealed the rest and then later it was found out, when that stuff gets revealed, often the result is a mistrial. And that surely is not good for the system. I mean, to have gotten, however far we've gotten into a trial, to have the mistrial from information that could have been easily found out in advance of trial, uh, it seems to me that we ought to be doing that. We ought to be trying to find out that information so that we don't have these situations that make the trial sort of into a farce. Well, the cynics among us tend to think that uh, jurors keep this information confidential or to themselves because if it's a high-profile case, they want to get on the jury and then write a book about it. That might be the case. Um, you know, that, that's entirely possible. Uh, you know, but I, I also, I think, uh, people keep the information in just some of the ordinary cases. I mean, I, you know, ordinary robbery case that I was the lawyer on, someone didn't divulge that he had an arrest. Uh, he said he misperceived the question. I've gotten calls from uh, 
a case out of Florida where it was the same way. Someone didn't uh, reveal that they had an arrest. Uh, and, and these aren't high-profile cases. I mean, the information is, I think, uh, often concealed in ordinary cases. And I think it's mostly either not that people have forgotten that they were arrested, but that they're just uncomfortable about talking about this in front of 40 or 50 other people. Well, and, and books aside, uh, Dr. Anthony, I wonder, are there jurors who look to get on jurors because they want to uh, impose their own sense of, of right and wrong in a case? We think there certainly are such jurors. We have uh, studied lots of individual jurors over the last 30 years, interviewing them and things of that nature. We've probably talked with 10,000-plus jurors. And one of the trends we think we have observed is that jurors have begun to act uh, a bit differently in the last uh, maybe, say, half a dozen years. And in particular, to the point you just made, uh, there seems to be a category of jurors which we have labeled the stealth juror, who, generally speaking, is a person who comes into the courtroom more aware of the system and oftentimes with a mission of their own in mind. The mission can be personal fame, personal fortune, it can be notoriety, it can be engaging in some social engineering of one sort or another. But the overall point being they early on recognize the case has some aspects to it that they as a juror deem important in society or in the world, and they perceive that if they can end up on the jury, they can have some meaningful impact on the outcome either to their own lives or to the topic matter. So long story short, they end up attempting to do what they can to stay on the jury, which means answering questions in a way they perceive will allow them to stay on the jury. And we, if I could just finish that point, we've observed that in studies we've done that about 17% of the overall current population of available jurors is inclined to think this way, to think the way of a stealth juror. So how, <clears throat> how do you find... Those people, how do you identify those potential those jurors who are potentially stealth jurors? Well, we found the easiest way to identify them. Of course, you get a group of people in the courtroom uh, before the trial starts, ranging from 50 to a couple hundred people, depending on the court. And then, as uh, the professor was mentioning, sometimes they fill out questionnaires, sometimes they don't. But in any event, at, at some point, they're typically being asked questions during the voir dire process. And what, what I think is safe to say is you can look for inconsistencies in the answers they provide as jurors. So, in other words, you'll have a person who uh, is unemployed and has no source of income, yet they're anxious to serve as a juror. And when they're asked a question, well, aren't you out looking for work? Isn't this going to be a hardship? They'll say something to the effect, oh, oh no, it's not going to be any problem for me. I have, I have money saved up and I can do this. So you'll hear something that just doesn't quite ring true or make sense, and oftentimes that's a flag that that's a juror who's actually making an effort to remain on the jury as opposed to simply providing uh, clear and uh, forthright information to the court. There's an obvious predilection in federal court not to engage in extensive jury background checks. What are the reasons why we don't want to have background checks? So I think there's, there's a cost element to all of this, so it depends upon the case. And there's also um, an unequal justice aspect to all of this. Um, but there's also just an overall sort of sausage-making part to the jury system, which in some ways we don't want to know too much about the jurors. Uh, we're 
don't really want to know how they make decisions or who they are. There's all, that's always been an aspect of, of the system. Um, I think sometimes we're afraid that if we look too closely, we might be too shocked by how the system works. How does it work? Um, well, I'm, I'm one of the ones who does believe that overwhelmingly cases are decided by the evidence, and it doesn't really matter much who the jurors are, that the jurors, who the jurors are in a particular case matter in a few, in a small percentage of cases. But overwhelmingly what truly matters is uh, evidence, uh, the evidence presented and how well it's presented, not who the jurors are. Dr. Anthony, why do we want to have jury questionnaires? Well, we want to have jury questionnaires. Be, I guess before I answer the question, I'm sort of in the opposite camp of what the professor just mentioned, which is I think it matters significantly who the jurors are. And as a matter of fact, we conduct research virtually every week somewhere in the country in which we have a case presented to four, five, six panels of surrogate jurors. And oftentimes each panel makes a different kind of decision because of the personalities in the room. They might, they might all discuss the same evidence, but they reach different conclusions because of the, the prejudices, the biases, the attitudes, the values they carry with them as individuals into the courtroom and how that influences their thought process about the case. So for those reasons, I think anytime you can, you want a jury questionnaire, because I think if you are if you are the party in the lawsuit, the plaintiff or the defendant, or, or if you are the lawyers representing those parties, you obviously want to do everything you can to win the case. And a component of that is you want to understand everything you can about the lay people who are going to be making the decision that affects your life so significantly. So you want to, uh, you want to learn as much as you can within the bounds of reason. You don't want to invade their private lives, I don't think, and so that means you don't want to do uh, private eye kinds of investigations of individuals. But you would hope that they would answer on a forthright basis a series of questions you would pose to them about uh, experiences they've had in their lives that might be relevant to the subject matter of the trial, their own backgrounds, their vocations, their family experiences, things of that nature. So. Oftentimes it's nice to have a questionnaire that's maybe, you know, 50-some-odd questions in length that gives you a nice overall sense of where the person is coming from. Does it discourage, are, are jurors discouraged by the prospect of extensive questionnaires or background checks? Is there a f danger of, of uh, discouraging people from wanting to serve on juries? Well, I have not found that. I will just say, that, at least to the first point, in terms of a questionnaire being administered by the court that they complete, I have not experienced jurors who have, as a result of having to fill out that questionnaire, become more discouraged about being there for court. I think the second point, investigations of some sort, background checks, I think that does bother a lot of people because they see it as an invasion of their civil liberties and they wonder to what extent Big Brother is manipulating the system in some regard. So if they hear we're going to do a background check and we're going to look into your, your records, while there might not be anything they can do about it, I think it makes them nervous. What's the practical effect of all of this? I mean, is there a determinative outcome based on whether jurors have criminal backgrounds or whether they lie on their juror questionnaires? Do you find that the result changes as a consequence of that? Well, in our research we do because generally the, the corollary is folks out there who are making those sorts of overt decisions to misrepresent information about themselves, 
usually also have some corresponding objective uh, or goal in regards to their role as a juror. So, so they're not coming in on a tabula rasa basis and simply answering questions so they can be uh, the right juror. They're, they're coming from the opposite position. They're, they're trying to be a certain person, uh, which in turn generally means they have a motive. Well, doesn't everybody come in with a motive? I certainly wouldn't say everyone comes in with a motive. I would say the vast majority of folks come into a courthouse with a mindset that they're being asked to perform their civic duty, and they, they, they perceive absent other information. That means making a fair and impartial decision about some case they're, they're about to hear about. I, I agree with that. I think almost always jurors are trying to be fair. Those who do, as you were talking about trying to get on to a jury, generally do have some sort of ideological viewpoint that uh, they're hoping, I think, to express in the verdict. The most jurors are coming in trying very hard to you know, do their civic duty and decide a case correctly and justly. Professor, do you advocate background checks beyond the questionnaires? I mean, may- maybe for criminal records because that's easily checkable. Um, I would, I encourage the use of good questionnaires, just as the doctor was talking about. I think there should be more of that. Uh, less oral presentations in court, which I think is actually where a lot of the problems come up with, and that good questionnaires can get uh, valuable information to the jury, to the attorneys uh, selecting the jury in, in an efficient manner. Um, one of the things that, in talking about the background checks, is that on some level, a, a century ago, there was a lot more of this than there is now. In, in the beginning of the 20th century, there's a lot of famous examples of uh, investigators going out in small communities where there are famous trials and really doing very deep background checks on the jurors, much more so than is happening now. So you would advocate at least a criminal background check? Is that what I hear you yes, saying? Yes, I would, since uh, if, if that comes out, and it often does come out, um, it has led to various problems, and it seems to me that that's easy enough to do. Um, and does it matter the type of case? Does it matter? Would you do that across the board in civil and criminal cases, or, or only in criminal cases? Um, certainly in criminal cases, but if it's easily done, that if it can be easily done without costing much, I don't see why it shouldn't be done for all jurors. Well, since the jury system is something that's guaranteed by the Constitution, should there be a a, a national standard? Should Congress legislate? jury questionnaires since there's such wide variety? I mean, on the whole, our trial system has been very, very local. Um, it's perhaps our most local of institutions. It's the one in, that's the closest uh, to the public and the people, and I would be against Congress doing that. I think it works best the more local it is. And, and Dr. Anthony, how, how, what about you? What, how extensive do you think background checks should be, and are there cases uh, that should or should not uh, have them, or, or the particular yeah. types of cases? Well, I, I actually very much agree with what the professor stated, which is I think, first of all, if you look at the federal questionnaire, there's, a, there's generally a question about uh, do you have a criminal record or something to that effect. And I think most folks who complete that questionnaire assume that whatever answer they give is going to be verified at some level. So, uh, the, you know, the fact that uh, if, if, if jurors were told they're going to be uh, in, uh, investigated in terms of their criminal background, I don't think they'd find that surprising. I think it's when it goes beyond that uh, you have people wondering, well, gee, just what part of my record is uh, 
private and what part is open to the public. So I'd be in favor of a check on the criminal element, and I think, to the professor's point, that certainly can make a difference in criminal cases. That does seem to be where it's uh, caused the most difficulty after the fact in terms of a perception of bias or unfairness. In a civil case, I frankly think it's less important other than it simply speaks to the issue of credibility of the juror. And so to that extent, it can, uh, uh, you know, it can be interpreted different ways and maybe isn't as necessary. Questionnaires, of course, I'm biased because of the profession I'm in, but I think questionnaires make a lot of sense. Uh, why wouldn't you want to know as much uh, relevant information as you could about a juror before you make a decision to uh, bring them in and have them sit on a panel of jurors reaching a, an important decision? So, um, uh, you know, can that be standardized? I don't think it can. Uh, not only, not only is the system. Um, uh, localized, as was just stated, but also, in fairness, every case is a bit different. You don't need to know the same information about every juror in every case. So, for instance, if you've got a product liability case, a civil action, you really, in fairness, you ought to have the right to know, has the person sitting there ever had a problem with a product? Have they had a medical injury that they perceived to be caused by either a hospital or a product or a doctor? That's, that's fair to understand that before you start, because it's clearly going to impact that juror's view. In an antitrust case, you don't need to know that same piece of information necessarily. Right, we, we have to take a, a short break, and we can discuss this more in just, just a moment, uh, but uh, we will be back in 60 seconds. We invite you to visit law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our practice center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. This is Bob Ambrogi. 
And I'm Craig Williams. We're back with our guest, Professor Randy Jonakite from the New York School of Law and Dr. Philip Anthony, Chief Executive Officer for Decision Quest, for some final thoughts on juror background checks. You know, there's an old adage, uh, 12 men tried and true, uh, with deference to diversity these days, but there still was that adage. So has jury questionnaires been a part of the jury system since time immemorial? Well, certainly, I believe attorneys, at least in the United States, have always wanted uh, information about the jurors and have used various ways to get it. It hasn't always been questionnaires. You know, it can be as subtle as looking as to what newspaper the person carries into the the courtroom, um, or if possible, it's possible you know to drive by a potential juror's house and see what kind of cars in the driveway. But lawyers have always looked for information about the people who might decide the case. Dr. Anthony, are there ever occasions when lawyers don't want uh, this? I mean, is is this is it fairly uh, standard across the board that that more information about jurors is a good thing for lawyers? I think the trial lawyers themselves almost always want more information. Uh, from case to case, that isn't necessarily always available. The courts uh, can be very strict. There are certainly judges in all jurisdictions whose attitude is, let's just put any eight or 12 people in the box and get the trial started, and you don't really even need any voir dire. Uh, it's irrelevant. Uh, and you, you still see a great deal of that in the system. But from the trial lawyer's perspective, uh, they always want more information. And, you know, it's not unusual to hear trial lawyers uh, talk about the lore of a trial. They try to think through, even after the trial's underway, whether particular jurors are with them or against them and whether they're listening to them and interested in certain points about the case or not interested in those points. So so the, the curiosity goes on throughout the entire trial, culminating uh, typically in jury interviews where in the venues where that's allowed at the end of a trial. So yes, I think uh, it's in the party's best interest to get as much information as they can. Are there improvements that can be made to the system, uh, things that should be changed? Well, you know, I, I think one of the big uh, problems, while it is true that, that courts are local by their nature and there's some good reason for that, the, the opposite point of that is the fact that you get very different results from one venue to another depending upon the rules of that particular venue. And there's a certain level of inequity associated with that in my mind because uh, you you can end up uh, uh, getting an unfair uh, situation whether you're a defendant or you're a plaintiff or you're being prosecuted or whatever the case may be uh, the mindsets differ from one venue to another and so in a perfect world it would be nice if there could be some standardization across venues in terms of procedures and uh, things of that nature. Professor? Um, I was going to say I think one of the, the changes that's happened over the last generation, so we've been talking about, is the use of the questionnaires. Um, 30 or 40 years ago, they were rare, if, if at all. And I think it's important to continue to figure out how to get the best information in, in sort of the shortest uh, number of questions. And perhaps uh, it's still throughout the country, there's lots of courtrooms where these aren't used. Uh, and I think uh, the value of them is, is, uh, should spread. Professor, we're going to wrap up here with some final thoughts, and I'd like to get your perspective on whether jurors should be punished for 
misrepresenting uh, their background or lying on the juror questionnaires or coming in with some type of a predisposed motive that is not necessarily the benefit of you know doing their civic duty. I'm I'm concerned about that because any any uh, efforts along those lines ends up intimidating jurors and makes them I think even less likely to speak the truth instead of more the truth. Uh, when you get into the more subtle questions or the questions that really lead to, to bias, um, our problem isn't that jurors um, are misleading. It's often that they're keeping things to themselves that should be disclosed. Uh, Phil said something along the lines of, oh, I was hurt by a product. They're more likely to not say that uh, than to lie about it. And whenever we start to punish them, I think we intimidate them and and make them you know, the easiest thing is not to say anything at all for them, and, and that's not good for the system. And, Doctor, what are your thoughts? Well, I think there's gradations to the issue. I think the more egregious matters should be prosecuted, if you will, to some degree. Uh, when jurors come into a courthouse, I think it's almost always relatively clear that they're under oath in terms of what they represent to the uh, court. And I think the professor's right to the extent there's simply uh, an unwillingness to share some personal background or maybe not share as much detail about it as they might otherwise do if it were a truly private setting. It's another thing for them to either outright lie about something that's material to the case, like whether or not they've uh, uh, been charged with criminal activity or not in the past or, or something that's going to be material to the case. And those jurors should be... Uh, singled out in my mind because my observation is the problem is uh, becoming exacerbated from year to year here as we go forward. Jurors, a lot of jurors, not all jurors, but a lot of jurors are becoming more brazen in their thoughts about what their role ought to be in the court system. And uh, I think we need to get back a little more to the point at which virtually all jurors come in with a mind toward simply performing their civic duty and being fair and impartial. Professor Jonakite, uh, I wonder if you could tell us how people can find out more about your book and your other writings on criminal justice. Well, the book is published by Yale University Press and is uh, available from the various online bookstores. Uh, it's the American jury system, is it? It's the American jury system. And uh, if they go to the website of my law school, uh, which is www.nyls.edu and look me up. They can see uh, my bibliography. Right. And Dr. Anthony, people can find out more about you at decisionquest.com. Is that correct? That's correct. We have a website that uh, has a fairly complete repository of articles and other information about what we've learned in uh, talking with jurors over the years. So it's, it's all available at that site, decisionquest.com. Well, thanks to both of you for participating in the show today. It's been uh, informative, and we appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you very much, gentlemen. And Craig, I guess uh, you and I will speak again next week. We will, Bob. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network.
The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.